Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Good afternoon. It is Friday here on Koinonia, a little different show for a Friday than what we normally have. And the reason is because, well, I was able to uh, get some really, really great guests to talk about some important details. One of the blessings that I have as a, a conservative Christian talk show host here in Phoenix is that I have all kinds of great resources of wonderful people to uh, to help with the conversation. And uh, in studio today, I have Kathy Herrick from Center for Arizona Policy, and I have Jim Bull from Palmcroft Church. And uh, we're looking for a representative from Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, this particular parking area can be a little challenging if you're not used to uh, making it here. So we'll uh, give uh, Eric lots of grace to get here. But uh, Kathy, welcome back to Koinonia. Well, thanks so much. Glad to be with you. It's uh, it's a busy time. And uh, it seems like forever ago, since we had the uh, convention this last week, and it seems like every other day something else new uh, is in the news. But when we originally scheduled today's roundtable, we were just going to talk about the things coming out of the Supreme Court of the United States and how that was affecting uh, nationally and locally and a few other things going on around the country. But that was two weeks ago. And it seems like it's just been piled on every 48 hours. There's something else. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about today. But let's just uh, use the last couple of minutes we have in this open segment for somebody that's not aware of Center for Arizona Policy. Uh, what's the basics that people need to know about what you're doing in our community? Well, Center for Arizona Policy, we are advocates, that we advocate for the the freedoms that God has guaranteed to every man, woman, and child, the freedom to live and work according to your faith, um, the right to life for the preborn child, um, reasonable um, information to be given to women who are considering an abortion. So we really advocate in the halls of power, um, primarily at the state legislature. So we want to ensure that our country, our state especially, continues to be a state where families can thrive, where religious freedom is affirmed, where, where life is cherished, and where families are protected from government interference and government control. And uh, when I asked Kathy and Center for Arizona Policy and Alliance Defending Freedom, if we wanted to add a pastor to the mix of the roundtable today, who would it be? And there was a name that was uh, on everybody's response. Uh, Jim, welcome back into Koinonia. Uh, you must be the guy because your name was on the list. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I don't know about all that, but it's good to be here with you today. I'm honored. Give me a little bit of uh, your background and then also your church and where it's located, and uh, then we'll probably be about break time. So, Well, let's see. The thumbnail sketches uh, in terms of ministry, I've spent most of my years up in the Pacific Northwest, but I've been here in Phoenix with my wife for the last nine years as the lead pastor at Palmcroft Church, and we are blessed to be there. We found Phoenix to be a, a great place to live, and there are any number of great churches in the valley here. So we uh, love what we do. We've grown to love everything about Phoenix with one exception. 
<laughs> and we're in it right now, That's right? Exactly. <laughs> it it's is like, warm out there. What are you doing still here at the end of July? It's I thought all pastors were gone the whole month of July. Oh no, that's probably a myth. Yeah. <laughs> Get away when you can, but there's always work to do. We have lots to talk about today, so uh, continue with us, and uh, I'll give you contact information for all of our guests as well at the end of the program. But uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360. KPXQ. Listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. This is Koinonia, a, uh, a roundtable discussion today. And uh, we gave Eric a little bit of grace because of the challenge of parking here at the Esplanade. We love being here, but sometimes it's not the easiest place to approach Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom. Thanks for joining us. Oh, glad to be here. Uh, what I had uh, Kathy and Jim do in the first segment, just give a little mini bio of themselves and the organization, uh, although I'm guessing most of our audience knows uh, Center for Arizona Policy, uh, Palmcroft, and also ADF. But Eric, tell us a little bit about ADF and your role there. How long have you been there? That kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So my role there at ADF, I'm the director of the Center for Christian Ministries at Alliance Defending Freedom. And ADF is a legal organization, and we are committed to defending the right of people to freely live out their faith. Uh, And what I do at ADF is to lead a team of attorneys that are focused specifically on the rights of pastors and churches to make sure, to put it simply, that the church has the right to be the church, uh, to minister freely, unhindered by government regulation and unconstitutional laws. And so we do lots of work in that area. I've been at ADF for almost nine years now, been litigating in the field of religious liberties for about 17 years. You were actually one of my first uh, ADF guests when I uh, returning back to the air, which is five years ago Monday, just saying. I can't believe it's been that long. But it was the sign case, uh, I believe, that you talked about over in Gilbert. Right. Uh, and then it was like two years later, we finally had an update of that. And then uh, that that's kind of where your introduction to this audience uh, was. So. Yeah, a great introduction because it ended up uh, to be a wonderful case. We won that case unanimously at the U.S. Supreme Court, protecting the right of churches to put out signs directing people to their facility and to have the same rights as everybody else just to have their signs out there. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's important, as Kathy mentioned during the break there, there we, we never are on break. Uh, we have to be vigilant with all of these issues all the time, whether the Supreme Court is in session, whether the Ninth Circuit Court is in session, whether the legislature is in session. We uh, Since this was scheduled... We've had uh, something that kind of perked my ears up as a Christian broadcaster in Iowa, uh, the religious freedom issue coming up there. Let's talk a little bit about that for those that may not know what we're talking about. Give us a a little bit of a background. Sure. Well, Iowa, like a lot of states and some cities and counties, have what they call the Iowa Civil Rights Act, and it's a non-discrimination law. 
and they essentially have uh, – they prohibit discrimination in places of public accommodation on the basis of things like race, religion, sex, national origin. Uh, and Iowa added to that code several years ago the, the sexual orientation and gender identity. And what caused a stir was the Iowa Civil Rights Commission putting out a brochure, uh, kind of a question and answer brochure, and they said, does this law apply to churches? And the Iowa Civil Rights Commission's answer was sometimes. And they gave as an example a church service open to the public. So think about this. If the law says that a church service open to the public is a place of public accommodation, then the church cannot discriminate in the use of their church facility on the basis of gender identity, which would mean they'd have to open up their changing rooms and their restrooms to people of different genders, different sexes. Uh, And so that really caused a stir. We have filed a lawsuit uh, to have that declared unconstitutional. And the other piece to that is there is what we call a publication ban in the law that would prohibit pastors from speaking freely on this issue. It basically says you can't do anything to, and this is the wording of the law, indicate Mm. that someone of a different gender identity would be unwelcome in your place. And that applies, if it applies in a church service open to the public, it applies to a sermon, it applies to any other communication. This is a, a, a vastly unconstitutional intrusion into the church. Your reaction, Kathy, when you heard that first? Well, lest you're thinking, oh, that's Iowa. I'm in Arizona, so it doesn't matter. We have five Arizona cities that have the same type of law that is being used in Iowa to try to silence pastors in the church. And so it's when you say you can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. It's Phoenix, Flagstaff, Tucson, Tempe, and Sedona. And in Phoenix, we have at least one lawsuit that Eric may want to talk about where it's not just a church or a pastor. It's also the business owner that wants to follow their faith in their in their follow their beliefs and how they conduct their work and how they run their business that also is at risk. And that's what's going on in Phoenix. Yeah. So, I mean, this this lawsuit we just filed on behalf of uh, a studio called Brush and Nib. They're calligraphers and uh, are in the wedding business. And they really just want to operate their business according to their faith. But the city of Phoenix uh, has this ordinance that would not not only tell them that they uh, they can't operate their business according to their faith, but it would impose criminal penalties on them if they didn't. Uh, and we've seen in other places uh, in Washington State and in Colorado and many other cities and counties where these cases have come up before that really this could result in professional and financial ruin for these business owners. So this is real. It affects a lot of different people. It's blatantly unconstitutional. We filed a lawsuit here in Phoenix. And we filed the Iowa lawsuit, what's called a pre-enforcement challenge, because we don't want to wait for these laws to be applied. We want to knock them out right now. Mm-hmm. Pastor, you have uh, been in uh, different situations where you've gotten a lot of information from ADF and from Center for Arizona Policy. But what was what's your response? I think there's a chilling effect, and it's amazing just to try to keep abreast of how fast things are moving today. Because on the one hand, hearing everything that's going on, you realize we're becoming less and less the United States that we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's both fascinating and chilling. And on the other hand, when you go back to Scripture, you realize that uh, all the way through the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul continued to minister, even though the law and city ordinances, uh, he was pushed out of town, he was stoned, he was beaten, and he kept doing what he was called to do. We, I think, just need to be aware as the church in this day and age how quickly things are potentially changing, because I don't think the pressure is going to let up anytime soon. And... uh, we need to be prepared to continue to do what the the Lord has called the church to do. Well, and with what you know, what we hear is that oh, no one wants to discriminate. This 
the thing that to make sure that you see this issue clearly, that these are events that people, whether it's brush and nib, whether it's the florist or the cake baker, it's an event that they feel like that they cannot participate in because of their faith, because of their beliefs in Jesus Christ. So it's not a discrimination issue. Most every one of these um, small business owners, these people of faith, they've provided services to someone without discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation, whether it's flowers for a, a birthday or a graduation, but it's the event, the wedding that they can not participate in. And for those believers who say, well, I think they should bake the cake. Well, then it gets back to the First Amendment guarantees us the right to freely exercise our religious beliefs. So let's respect one another. Let's know that, you know, let's go ahead and if you can bake the cake, that's your decision. But the one who can't, let's respect their their conscience right. Yeah, and, and Kathy, I love what our client, Baronel Stutzman in Washington State, uh, the florist who served a, a gay couple for 19 years and then just uh, uh, could not participate in the wedding because of her faith. And, and what she says when she speaks to groups of people, because she's facing financial and professional ruin. I mean, they're going after everything that this woman has simply because she wants to abide by her faith. And she says very, very simply and very plainly, today it's me, tomorrow it could be you. Uh, and I think we've got to be aware of this, and we have to stand up. And one of the things we're doing with these pre-enforcement challenges, both in Iowa and Phoenix and elsewhere, uh, frequently we've had situations where the lawsuits have come to us, and we've had to fight them. But they're not on maybe the most positive ground. Uh, they're not maybe in the most positive forum. And we don't want to wait and create the law that way. We want to do it in a way uh, that is in a positive forum. It's in a good place with good facts. Good facts make good law. And so we're trying to do that the best we can, knock these ordinances and laws out to protect the right uh, of free exercise of religion. Would you all agree that in the current state of uh, news gathering and news reporting with social media as it is, the NBA yesterday saying, hey, we're pulling the uh, – uh, we're pulling the all-star game from North Carolina just because of uh, their legislation there, that a lot of these battles don't end up getting fought in court till the public opinion has already been decided. Is that important? Well, it is important, but it's also the facts are important. And so with, to use the NBA example, um, there I saw a tweet went out earlier today about a congressman who sent a letter basically challenging the NBA on what they're doing in China, what they're, you know, that they're not, you know, that, that they're such a, a – a hypocritical yeah. stance that they're taking, whether the issue of PayPal, when they said they were playing out of North Carolina, but yet they're operating in countries that will kill people based right. on their sexual orientation. I also think it's interesting that the NBA, a sex-segregated mm -hmm. uh, organization, they only let men play in the NBA, right. is complaining about mm -hmm. the fact that you know the, the North Carolina is trying to keep its facilities uh, according to gender. And but, when we see so many companies uh, coming out, and it just seems to Coca-Cola, for uh, to, to use a large name, they uh, have done this kind of thing. How do we fight their, you know, inconsistency as the general public? Well. What one one argument that we use is to take North Carolina as an example. North Carolina has been sending out um, press release after press release the last month or two about the great business climate in North Carolina and how well North Carolina is flourishing economically. Everyone looks to Texas as being one of the strongest business climates in the country. Texas does not have a statewide law on sexual orientation and gender identity. So I think it's important to point out when that there's really not a need for the corporations that want to have these policies. Fine, let them have these policies. The, the government's not 
trying to stop them, but let's protect others' rights. And even like yesterday, I mean, some will remember the the battle we had in Arizona over 1062. And again, the media mischaracterized the story by saying that 1062 was to allow people to deny the provision of services based on their religious beliefs. No, it was never going to give any business owner the right to deny services. It gave them the right to have their day in court and to discuss, you know, to see that here are my beliefs. I should be free to live and work according to my faith. Here's an alternative. Here's another way of meeting that need for that person if there was a a, a strong enough governmental interest in doing so. I don't want to get in the weeds legally, but oftentimes what you see in the media is far from accurate about what's going on. Yeah, and I think I think that's exactly right, Kathy. And I think too that that we have to continue to watch our tone and how we do the do this and how we engage on these things. That we do it winsomely, but that we do it effectively. Uh, and Pastor Jim, you do a great job with this. That proclaiming the gospel, uh, because ultimately what this boils down to is these are truth claims mm-hmm. uh, in the public square. These are claims about what truth will win the day. Uh, and the only way to battle a truth claim is with the actual truth itself. And so we've got to continue to do that, and we have to continue to make the case for religious freedom, why it's a public good, why religious freedom should be protected. Yeah, and what you're saying, Eric, really reflects uh, what the gospel says about the person of Jesus. He was a man full of grace and truth. And it's always a balance for uh, especially the church to stay right between those two. We're, we proclaim truth, and yet we need to do so gracefully, not uh, with vitriol. And don't get your information as your sole source from Twitter, or certainly not Facebook. And how we conduct ourselves on these public media uh, mediums can be uh, quite dramatic as well. And sometimes I see arguments that will go between people, uh, and, and it grows and grows and grows, and they're not even talking about the actual issue itself. You know, it, it devolves into name-calling, and, oh, well, you hate this and hate that. No, uh, I love people, but, you know, truth is truth. Uh, that is one of the things that I, I specifically want people to understand, that truth is available. It's not like it's some mythical thing that we can't uh, tangibly access. Uh, I could give you some websites. I could give you, you know, some scripture, right? John Stone Street had a great little uh, blog the other day on the Chuck Colson blog that he puts out, and it, it gave six questions to ask people when you're in a confrontational conversation about these things. And a couple of them are where, um, how did you come to that conclusion? Where did you get that information? How do you know that's true? Uh, rather than to argue, just to, just to go back and find out what is this based on or is this just raw opinion? And we have uh, a lot more to discuss. And uh, we're, are, are we going to break here, Bill, or there we go. All right. Uh, We'll be back in just a moment. We have a lot more to discuss. This is a great, great conversation. You're listening to KPXQ Faith Talk 1360. Kathy Herod from Center Arizona Policy, Jim Bull from Palmcroft Baptist Church, and... uh, Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom. That is the roundtable. This is, I have to admit, I just kind of, we kind of got lost there going to the commercial break because Bill and I were both fascinated with everything we were discussing. So now we're running behind, but that's okay. We can figure it out. The clock will will calm down here in a minute. But uh, Eric, (laughs) as I said during the break, Uh, And even earlier in the program, the original thought for me for this show was the decisions that came down from the Supreme Court and how they were going to affect us moving forward. 
we just kind of got distracted from the fact that about every 48 hours since then, something else has come up. And it's like we've almost forgotten the incredible decisions uh, that uh, with Texas and abortion uh, that came down from the Supreme Court. Yeah, it was a very active term at the U.S. Supreme Court, specifically on the area of life. Uh, and, and honestly, it wasn't a very good term at the U.S. Supreme Court for life. Uh, the whole women's health case was uh, a, a, a really a loss that we were hoping wouldn't happen, uh, but it did. It dealt with uh, two provisions of Texas law, an admitting requirement that, surge, uh, that uh, abortionists must have admitting privileges in a hospital within 30 miles of their clinic, uh, and then a surgical center requirement that an abortion facility had to meet the standards of an outpatient surgical center. Uh, that that was the minimum safety standards. And the Supreme Court looked at it and said both of those requirements were unconstitutional. And they really seemed to focus on the fact that those requirements had resulted in the closure of about half of the abortion clinics in Texas. They talked a lot about how, well, women in the outskirts are going to have to drive a long way to get an abortion. And ultimately, it boiled down to what uh, their standard is, which is, does this put create an undue burden uh, on, on a woman's access to abortion? And unfortunately, they said it did. And it would be the same. Well, is it undue burden if they had those health requirements for surgery? Well, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, this is a, a severe and a serious a potential health issue for a woman. Well, our read of the Supreme Court decision is that it doesn't automatically negate Arizona abortion laws, that the Texas laws were based on a very specific fact situation that do not exist in Arizona. Our abortion clinic regulations have been in effect here since 2010. After a lengthy court battle, they were upheld. Um, Most of the abortion clinic regulations in Arizona were upheld by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So we we feel like it's a different set of facts. So we but but we do anticipate more litigation potentially. We our biggest concern is what does it mean for abortion regulation going forward and whether the US Supreme Court has set down a new standard for evaluating these laws. So we're um and Justice Thomas in his dissent appeared to lay out what he thought the the majority was was saying was a new test for whether an abortion regulation posed an unconstitutional undue burden or not. Um, it still goes back to regardless of what the courts do, we have we see we're winning on the life issue. Um, we see the abortion rates going down. We see people recognizing the humanity of the preborn child, recognizing the harms to women from abortion. So whether we are able to make abortion illegal or unthinkable, we have the opportunity still to do both and we don't give up. And it's not just a legal issue. Right, Pastor? I mean, absolutely not. It's a moral issue. We're talking about life, which from a church perspective is uh, is sacred, is Mm -hmm. created by God. Absolutely. How is how important is it for us people of faith uh, to be vocal about it's not a it's not an easy topic, uh, especially in the contentious environment that we find ourselves so often. But how important is it uh, for us to be speaking on life? If you consider yourself a Christian that uh, respects the Word of God, it's it's not a matter of how hard it is. It really comes back to, do you believe the Bible to be true, and will you stand for what it says? And again, we balance that with grace and with truth. I have the privilege of serving on the board of the Crisis Pregnancy Center here in Phoenix, a great organization, and there are others of the same ilk that are doing some really good work, and every one of them recognizes the blessing of having a Center for Arizona policy that's working on the legislative side so that the laws in Arizona are, you know, as positive right now as we can make them. Yeah. Uh, Eric, with the observations about the Supreme Court, uh, when we had the loss of, you know, the most conservative and constitutional 
uh, standard bearer uh, on the court, we didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, how surprised were your team over at ADF with those particular decisions? Well, you know, it, it's always a wild card after Justice Scalia passed away. And uh, at least in the whole women's health, the Texas case, uh, we were really – it all came down to Justice Kennedy. And what was he going to do? Mm-hmm. Was he going to side with the liberals or was he going to side with the conservatives? And, and if he had sided with the conservatives, there would have been a 4-4 split which would have upheld the regulations because the lower court had done that, had upheld the regulations. And unfortunately, he sided with the liberal liberals on the court uh, and struck down these regulations. Now, uh, you know, this is all very fluid. Obviously, there's only eight members of the court right now. Uh, there will be another justice appointed. We have an aging Supreme Court. Uh, a couple of the justices are over 80. Uh, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. So these types of decisions, I think it's important to keep the perspective that Kathy had that this is not kind of a per se rule, that all abortion rules are illegal or unconstitutional, uh, that all women's safety kind of regulations that are passed are bad. This is not the case. Uh, there are numerous ways to move forward from here to protect life, and I think we ought to follow every one of them. Yeah, and it is something that we can't let our guard down, right, Kathy? I mean, that's what we've seen. Uh, You've been uh, at the head of Center for Arizona Policy for 10 years, 10 plus. Uh, There is no uh, rest period. No, there's not. And I think on the life front... I mean, that's that's my passion. That's why we do this work. And we're as concerned about the woman considering an abortion as we are about her preborn child. But all the laws that address the life issue are solving problems that exist out there. We know that women have been have not been given accurate information when they're considering an abortion. We know we know that abortion has been treated differently than other medical procedures as we've discussed. So, you know, there's still problems to be solved that will protect the lives of both the, the mother and the child. And so, we will continue as long as we have breath within us. Mm-hmm. We certainly are going to be advocating for both the mother and her child. We're going to be talking more about the importance of uh, something that you hear me beat the drum all the time here, uh, being registered to vote, being informed, and casting a ballot. We're going to talk about that next segment. But, uh, Eric, what were some other things that came down from the Supreme Court that maybe we need to be aware of, even though it doesn't affect us as uh, specifically? Yeah, well, we kind of had a little bit of a mixed bag at the Supreme Court in terms of rights of conscience. Uh, One of the cases that ADF has been litigating for quite some time has been the Stormins case out of Washington State involving a family-owned pharmacy uh, who really confronted an unconstitutional rule passed by the Washington Pharmacy Board that said you must stock and dispense Plan B. Uh, and they wouldn't allow them to refer. You had to stock it and dispense it. And you could refuse to do that for nu- numerous reasons except for religious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and this, was, this was the source of one of the most severe rants I've had in 2016. <laughs> because quite simply, you could say, oh, I don't have enough shelf space uh, to carry that. That's okay. But if you somehow say and they can – and I don't even know how they test for this. You know, that violates my – uh, closely held religious beliefs, now make room. Right. Yeah, and that's exactly what ended up happening in this case. And unfortunately, the Stormans family lost at their at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. We asked the court to take the case, and the court declined to hear it. Mm. Uh, and Justice Alito dissented from that. In his dissent, the beginning lines of it, he said, this case is an ominous sign. And then he went on and he said, if this is a sign of how religious liberty claims will be treated in the years ahead, those who value religious freedom have cause for great concern. Wow. And that's pretty strong words, uh, but it really rings true when you're considering what's at stake. I kind of want to put a billboard up everywhere 
you know, that is somebody that sits on the court saying that. Yeah, it, it very. It should be a wake up call to all of us. Uh, one of the bright spots, though, in the court's term was the the Zubik case. Uh, many people popularly refer to the Little Sisters of the Poor case involving the HHS mandate for birth control. Thankfully, the court sent that back to the lower courts to determine whether something could be worked out to re- respect the rights of conscience. That was a good decision because after Justice Scalia passed, it was really uncertain what the court was going to do with that. And so have a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of rights of conscience at the Supreme Court. Uh, and But that issue in particular is going to be at the Supreme Court in the years to come. If I could uh, just throw in a small commercial here, Tom. Sunday evening, Eric's going to be sharing at our church about some of these Supreme Court decisions that are sitting there tied four to four, uh, all of which have rather ominous, far-reaching implications depending on which way they go. And so the very thing we're talking about, if you're interested in hearing more, that would be 6 o'clock at Palmcroft Church in the east end of the property. And you can so. find uh, information about Palmcroft, palmcroftchurch.com. They're at 15825 North 35th Avenue, and uh, you say 6 o'clock six this o'clock. Sunday night. So that's that's great. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm, as an observer that doesn't have a legal background or anything like that, it seems like those decisions were somewhat dictated by popularity, by popular culture, because everybody, you know, the little sisters of the poor, I mean, you know, that was like, you know, a little storybook thing, and oh, you know, Obama is so bad. Well, they decided for them. Uh, somebody, you know, a small business in Washington, oh, they're discriminating against, you know, they're trying to make it, uh, you know, uh, enforce abortion issues uh, with their business. They're bad. Yeah, it really, whether it's popular culture or whatever it is, I think what we're what we're seeing here is a Supreme Court that does not have a firm jurisprudential footing for to decide rights of conscience, free mm-hmm. exercise of religion. It's just kind of a toss-up when these cases come up because there's no solid foundation for how these are decided. When in reality, in the Stormans' case, this was very, very clear that this they were targeted specifically because of their religious beliefs. And they faced uh, really draconian penalties because they didn't comply, didn't bow the knee to what the Washington Board of Pharmacy wanted them to do. Uh, now, thankfully, uh, and, and there is hope here because we're going back to the trial court in the Stormans' case. The case is not all the way over. We're going to try to reopen the case to relitigate it again on new issues. And Justice Alito kind of helped point the way as to how that might be able to happen. So we're going to take him up on that, relitigate the case, and hopefully get some relief for the Stormans' family. Ninth Circuit Court? Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, but uh, God's in control of these cases. That's a good he, point. He drives the hearts of the judges. <laughs> I, I didn't know that much about Ninth Circuit Court until I spent time at ADF uh, nigh 10 years ago. And it's like, I just... Uh, Every time. Uh, We have more to talk about. I know. It's been great. It's been fantastic. We're going to continue the conversation and how specifically you can be involved and how important it is for you to be involved in all of these issues. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. We'll be right back.
I am listening to the lyric of that song from J.J. Heller, and uh, you know, this kind of we got we got to remember that, right? We he knows us, he knows our heart, he knows, and we should know who wins. But he didn't say, you know, just throw up your hands and don't participate. Uh, some people like to say. Oh, when Jesus said, uh, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, that means uh, you don't really have to pay it. You know, the Bible also says we get the leaders we deserve. And what does that mean? It terrifies me because I know, uh, you know, how sinful my heart is. And without his saving grace, we got nothing. And uh, I I want to uh, emphasize strongly that as people of faith, and I have said this since, uh, you know, your world with Tom Brown, yeah, I don't know, 2003 is when I started beating that drum here on the radio station and uh, Center for Arizona Policy and their voter guides as it came on board. I was all on board with that voter registration. Uh, and I'm not one of these guys. Uh, and some of my conservative Republican friends don't like me to say this, but I don't really care at this point uh, what party you're affiliated with. But you need to, as a person of faith, you need to be registered to vote. The deadline for that for the primaries? August 1st. It's it's less than 10 days away, or it's about 10 days away. Um, Then you need to vote. But before you cast your ballot, you need to pray, obviously. You need to also do some research. Don't just take your Twitter feed or your Facebook feed and think that the answers are there, because they're not. Those are opinions, and those are mostly emotions that you're seeing. And I think we're all in agreement in this room as well that this, especially after the convention, oh, it'd be so easy. You know, I don't like this candidate. I don't like what they said there, so I'm out. I'm just out. But we can't do that, right, Kathy? No, and I would say that this is an election that uh, a couple of things. We can't sit this one out. We can be the difference. And that if, you know, we hear... One of my favorite quotes recently was actually from Russell Moore, that we're always voting for the lesser of two evils because Jesus isn't on the ballot. Right. Amen. So that, that was a very interesting comment that I heard. But at the same time, we within families, within organizations, within our church worlds, we're going to have people who, yes, they can vote for a certain candidate. No, they can't vote for a certain candidate. So I would say this election cycle, more than anything, it's a respect one another and not act like, well, you're more Christian if you can vote this way or not vote this way. That's not what determines mm. our walk with the Lord you know, as far as our, our basic um, belief system. But at the same time, don't sit this one out that at the state level, what happens on the August 30th primary election in Arizona will have a significant impact on what happens with religious freedom and life and school choice and parental rights moving forward in our state. So you've got to do your homework. Go to azvoterguide.com starting next week. See what district you're in. See which candidates line up with your views and then vote accordingly. So it's, it's critical that we pay attention um, in the August 30th primary, that as the listeners well know, we could be voting on legalizing marijuana in our state on November 8th. So there are critical issues at the state, city, local level, um, statewide ballot measures that we have to engage in, and that if the church, if the body of believers will engage, we can be the difference and make the difference this election. Can I say that I'm astounded that this uh, marijuana legislation might actually be on the ballot? I would, and you know, 20 years ago, I would have laughed at you. And now I'm terrified. I, I, I really am. I'm really concerned. We're going to do another roundtable. We're going to do one specifically on that topic as well. Uh, Pastor, if you were face-to-face 
with a, a listener right now, what would you tell them about this election? Just about every election cycle we hear, this is one of the biggest and most important and life-changing, and uh, I think there's some truth to that. We're, at a, again, at a tipping point as a nation. As a pastor, I'm always both curious, disappointed, and befuddled as to the huge number of people counted evangelicals that simply do not vote. Uh, we, why? I, I, I don't have a good answer for that. Uh, maybe it's because we are particular people. We like smorgasbords. We like what we like. We like what we don't like. And the fact of the matter, politics is a little bit different than going through the smorgasbord line. Uh, our choices are not as complete as we'd like. It's either A or B when it mm-hmm. comes to a presidential election. And we're uh, we're sitting at one where we've seen uh, many of our uh, religious freedoms on the edge, and, and the whole direction of culture is moving in a in in a way that's uh, should be concerning to every American. And as evangelicals, it's all about the influence we can continue to have in our culture and then around the world because of the freedom we have in the United States of America. We lose that freedom, we lose our influence. And it is important to get out. It's one of the one things we can do as Americans. We can vote. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're responsible as Americans and as Christians to take that step. There is, for the presidential ballot, there is no, um, well, I'm, I can't vote for that person. Uh, you, you, you only, we only have one of these two people are going to be the president of the United States for the next four years, period. There isn't a, there isn't a plan B. Uh, oh no, my guys didn't like it. Uh, didn't make it. So oh, we'll just uh, pick the. No, you only have these two uh, people to vote for. Eric, obviously, there are going to be numerous uh, appointees to the Supreme Court of the United States by this next president. We know for sure one, right, and very likely three over the next four years. How important is this election? Well, it is. It's very important. Um, but but I do think, and I say this as somebody who you know, we litigate in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. In fact, uh, I'll be at the Supreme Court this coming fall uh, on a case involving a church who's been discriminated against in a state grant program to resurface their playground. Uh, kind of a ridiculous case, but the court's going to decide it, and it'll have a major impact on the free exercise clause and on the equal protection clause, specifically answering the question, can religious people be discriminated against solely because of their religious status? Can they be denied access to government benefits and uh, other things solely because they're religious? That's an important question that the court's going to take up. So these issues are important, but I I also think that there is a balance here as well. Uh, The Supreme Court has abrogated to itself a huge amount of power. Mm -hmm. Uh, It sets itself up as the final arbiter of lots of questions uh, regarding our life and how that that applies to us. And so we, we, we need to understand that. We need to understand the importance of it. But we also need to understand that the Supreme Court is not our savior, and it is not our final option. Uh, that there are other ways that we can handle uh, things that happen. You know, uh, my my boss early on in my career uh, gave me a piece of advice after I had kind of I'd been litigating a particular case involving religious freedom, and I had lost at, at a lower court. Uh, and I was pretty discouraged as a young attorney, and I thought, man, I, you know, I can't believe I lost. This is a, such a momentous case. And he just looked at me, and he said, Eric, he said, there's no defeats. They're just temporary setbacks. Mm. And I think as, as Christians specifically, we have to understand that, that there's no defeats. They're just temporary setbacks. And we have to figure out how do we move now? How do we deal in this culture, even maybe with a hostile Supreme Court? 
Uh, what do we do with that? There are other things that can be done. But then I think also as Christians to cultivate uh, a trillion-year perspective, yeah. that Amen. on one day there Amen. will be righteousness and, and justice. That's really well said. In fact, it brought to mind I was uh, standing next to you and Josh at a prayer event at the state capitol when bad news came, and you said, okay, we have to move forward. Well, it's my favorite proverb. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So the results are in God's hands. We're to be obedient. We're to do our part, but the results are in God's hands. And so, you know, the other way I put it is, okay, a 24-hour pity party sometimes when something bad happens. And then you pick up and say, okay, Lord, what's next? What's next? His understanding, his ways are so far beyond mine. And that what has allowed me some grace uh, in situations, but particularly comfort, is that I'm supposed to be pointing people to him, not to my opinion. Uh, Whatever it is that I bring to the table, whether it be on this microphone or in social media, wherever, ultimately I'm to direct people to him and then give practical ways that you can participate in the process that we have here in the United States. I still think this is the greatest country uh, ever conceived in our history. But we can lose it. Uh, Eric McTaxis wrote a great book. I haven't gotten all the way through it, but already it's just like, wow, there are so many things. But we have to hang on to the fact that our Savior died for us individually and completely. And we're fully and completely loved. Okay, so now what do we do with that? We try to love as well, the best we can. But we can't just abdicate the basic responsibilities that we have as citizens of the United States. We can't. We have to participate. Uh, Let's talk some practical stuff. Pastor, what do you recommend to, you know, just the uh, Christian on the street about getting informed, being, you know, I've already said my piece on uh, being registered to vote, uh, being informed, and casting a ballot? All that's all solid advice, and I agree with everything you just said, Tom. We are responsible. It's part of representing uh, who we are as Christians. But uh, that broad view is so important, too, and I think both Eric and Kathy have spoken to it. Uh, individually, none of us can change our culture, uh, but individually, every one of us can represent Jesus Christ and uh, the principles he represents and the truths of his word, and that's what we're called to do. That would include being a, being a good citizen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, personally, one of the challenging things uh, for most of us that have been down the road age-wise, we've lived in a great America, a very free America. Uh, we've lived in a day and age when God and faith and country, it was, you know, accepted. And, and that's changing so fast. It feels like in ways we're on the backside of culture. That's not fun. Mm-hmm. But if you look at history... Many countries, many civilizations have been through that cycle, and believers in every one of those have had to live on the backside of their culture. So we do what we can to preserve, to promote, and to stand for what is right and righteous. But uh, as, as you heard both of your other guests here say, that we're, not, we're not guaranteed victory right now. We're guaranteed victory ultimately. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Pastor. And, and one of the things that... Um my boss at ADF has said, we're here for a reason. God doesn't make mistakes. He put us here in this country, at this place, at this time, 
to serve him and to honor him. And part of doing that is exercising the responsibilities of government that we have as Christians. We're going to return and uh, get out of here with some prayer. Also, contact information for everyone on the panel today. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360, KPXQ, where hope is always on. What a great program today. This is Koinonia. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Uh, Eric, quickly, contact information for ADF. Yeah, best place to reach us is www.adflegal.org. You can sign up for our newsletter there. Kathy? azpolicy.org and azvoterguide.com. And don't forget to sign up for 5 Minutes for Family. If you don't sign up for anything else, sign up for that. You'll get a little uh, blurb every Friday that uh, is is germane to what has been going on the previous week. Pastor? We're at palmcroftchurch.com. That's our webpage. And uh, you have an event with Eric Sunday night, 6 o'clock. So palmcroftchurch.com. Check it out and then join them on Sunday night. Pastor? Pray for us tonight. Glad to. Father in heaven, what a privilege to uh, discuss today these important topics together. We're reminded that your word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we're living in such a challenging yet exciting day and age. Father, we need your wisdom to know how to walk in this world. And I thank you for two great organizations like the Center for Arizona Policy and the good work Kathy does and her team there. And I thank you so much also for the Alliance Defending Freedom and Eric and Alan Sears and the team there, both groups uh, having come out of uh, Focus on the Family years ago. Thank you for using them. Continue to use them powerfully in our state and in our country. And we'll thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for your time today. And uh, we'll continue the conversation uh, as the weeks go on. But don't forget that the... uh, uh, Voter registration. If you're not registered to vote, do so now. It's so easy to do. azpolicy.org. Click on register to vote. That's how easy it is. Thanks again.